0: And welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Father Mark Di Battista on the topic Men are Pigs, Women Are Manipulative. This March 2008 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday evening Apologetics Lectures at St Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Father Mark is a former assistant priest at St Paul's Parish, Camden and is now studying at the Pontifical Biblical Institute in Rome.
1: Great, well, it's good to see you all again tonight. This is a topic certainly very near and dear to my heart, and over the years, as a priest, it has been developing. Before I uh, launch into the topic, there's basically sort of three parts to this talk. I want to outline a little bit the topic, then secondly, go through some scriptural basis to the the talk and then go more deeply into the content of the actual talk itself. But the origin of this talk really began to develop over many years, well quite a few years now as a priest, I'll be 14 years a priest in June and I began to notice things when I, I spent a lot of time preparing couples for marriage, obviously hearing confessions and doing spiritual direction wherever I could. And I started to notice various things about men and women and what predominated in men and what predominated in women. And they weren't things that I really picked up from the seminary so much, and yet they happened with too much frequency for me to kind of discard as if, oh, well, this is just an interesting curiosity or interesting coincidence. So I began then to just join the dots more and more and really began to realize that This is something that's printed very deeply by God onto human nature. So, an alternate topic for the title for tonight's talk is the psychosexual differences in the makeup between men and women. But if you would have heard that, you would have thought, Huh? What? (laughs) What does that mean? So, better something like men are pigs and women are manipulative with a question mark. The question mark, of course, is all important because... Men don't have to be pigs and women don't have to be manipulative. But sadly, it can often end up being that way. But the good news is that Christ has come to redeem us. So through Christian marriage in particular, those weaknesses are redeemed. And so tonight I want to talk about the original picture and how things got disfigured and then how things uh, can be improved. Okay, so that's where we're heading. Feel free to ask questions at any stage during the talk, but it will probably be best if we save them till the end. Uh, however, if you can't wait, I'll certainly, and, and because it's a small group and cozy group of us, I'll happily answer them during the actual talk itself. So, why is it that sometimes men are bigs and women are manipulative? Well, because... The very strengths that God has given to us, that He is inscribed on in our human nature, in our human nature, on our hearts, our virtues can often be our weaknesses. Our strengths can often be our downfall. Why? Because we recognize that they are strengths and that they accomplish what they were designed to do. But if we don't use them in a proper balance, as they were intended, then instead of being something that builds up, it can be something that crushes. Let's take a completely different example. For instance, generosity. Someone may be, what's your name please? Louise Louise, up the front row here. Let's say Louise is a generous woman, and I'm sure she is. But Louise is a generous woman, and so she wants to be generous in everything. She thinks this is a real virtue, imitation of Christ, who was extremely generous. And so she gives her heart constantly. She doesn't just give her possessions, she just gives of herself, and gives and gives and gives. But Louise doesn't have the virtue of prudence. How to govern that virtue? That's not real, but uh, I'm just picking on Louise for the time being. And so the virtue of generosity is not governed by the, by the virtue of prudence, which should govern really all the virtues uh, under the overall banner of love. And so she gives and gives and gives, but eventually what happens, she gives all her possessions away, so she ends up being destitute, she ruins her health, and all because she thinks, well, I've got to keep on giving myself generously. But in the end, generosity doesn't become generosity, it ends up being silliness. And so too, so many of our other strengths, if they're not kept in balance by other virtues, virtues must be kept in balance by other virtues. If virtues are not kept in balance by other virtues, they end up becoming vices, because we misuse them. And so too, therefore, when it comes to the psychosexual differences in the makeup between men and women, there are things which are clearly predominant in women. There are other things which are clearly predominant in men. And a lot of things I'm going to say tonight are generalizations, to be sure. They are not absolutes. Because for everything I will say, more than likely you'll be able to find a, an exception. And that's fine. But that's okay. I, I, I can find you exceptions myself, actually. But the point is that they are common enough to be able to draw certain conclusions that often men are like this and often women are like this. And where I find this is particularly particularly helpful is not only in married couples but uh, and, and couples who are courting, but in being able to understand members of the opposite sex. And one of the most frequent causes of marriage problems is actually the absence of a lot of the things that, or ignorance of a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about tonight. Have I lost anyone? Okay, good. Pretty straightforward. God makes Adam in the Garden of Eden, so we're into the Genesis now. Garden of Eden, and he he makes him there, and he uh, and what's he do? Well, Adam's alone, and in the Hebrew originally, the Adam is the refers to the man and the woman. It's a it's a generic understanding in the Hebrew, and God recognizes it's not good that the man should be alone. So the man is made in the image and likeness of God, but he is alone. And although he has no sin, right there's no original sin yet, he has no sin, he is in complete harmony with God. Adam is unsatisfied. He is incomplete. So anyone who ever tells you, all you need is God... God's got this magic wand, that's it. You don't need others. Don't believe them. Because God himself recognized that the human heart needs others of like. A suitable helpmate. Now, this might sound like heresy. A few of you rolling your eyes. Yes, all we need is God. But God made us to need others. To need others like you and I. And not just brothers... But we need brothers and sisters, or not just sisters, but we need both. So Adam, is he's got perfect integrity, there's no original sin, there's no concupiscence, no problems at all, but he is incomplete. Complete harmony with God, but he is alone. And so what does God do? He makes the man fall into a deep sleep, and he takes from his side. Many of the translations from the book of Genesis... Uh, say, oh, uh, he took from he took a rib. And by the way, I don't have any notes with me, and it's not because this talk's not prepared. I've just given it that many times. I'm going on automatic pilot. So, uh, but I, I, it has been prepared and given it many times. But he takes from his side. And if you want to find a reference for this, read up Joseph Francis' book, uh, Introduction to Christianity, and he talks about this in some detail. So he takes from his side. Some have postulated and wondered, well, what does it mean when God takes from his side? Why didn't he take from his head or from his feet? Well, we can come up with various opinions about all this, but if God had taken from Adam's head, his helpmate may have dominated him, and Adam may have felt inferior. If he had taken from his feet, Adam may have felt superior or his helpmate feel inferior. But he takes from his side, so that his helpmate, his suitable partner, could actually be his equal and work with him. So God makes Eve. And I don't know what you think, but I reckon when Adam sees Eve for the first time, he probably gasped for air. Wow, you know, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Because he sees that she's different from all the other creatures on the planet, or in the Garden of Eden, thinks, wow, I like Eve. Have you heard the joke about Adam before Eve came on the scene? I'll tell you this quickly, it won't take too long, but... uh, Adam's is sulking because he's alone. And God says, Don't worry, I'll see what I can do. And uh, so, anyway, sometime later, Eve comes on the scene, and Adam takes great notices of Eve and thinks, Oh, wow, this is terrific. So, sometime later still, God is walking in the cool of the evening and sees Adam sulking yet again. And says, Adam, what's wrong? You know, you don't like something in the garden? I mean, I've tried. And he says, Look, God, I love the garden, but. You know, I'm just lonely. So Eve, he makes Eve, but then sometime later he's complaining again. He says, you don't like Eve? Something wrong with her? I did my best, you know? And he says, look, God, I love Eve, but i just got two complaints. One, why did you have to make her so beautiful? Now I'm just dazzled. I'm mesmerized by her beauty. I just have to look at her. She's just so gorgeous, stunning. I can't do the work. You gave me a job to do, man. I'm supposed to till the garden and take care of it and all that. Things are falling behind, you know, the overgrowth and... The he says, oh, Adam, I thought it would be obvious to you, I made her beautiful so that you'll love her and want to be with her and enjoy her company. And Adam shakes his, you know, scratches his head and thinks, oh, thank you, God, I didn't think of it in those terms. That so makes a lot of sense. My second complaint, God, why did you have to make her so stupid? And God says, it's so that she'll love you. <laughs> Poor Adam. Anyway, so then Eve comes on the scene and, and Adam and Eve now are made to compliment one another. Have you ever wondered, in the vows, wedding vows? How many of you here are married? One, two, three, four—about half of you. Okay, good. In the wedding vows, there are three questions, at least in the new rite. Uh, not in the right of—I haven't studied the rite that was before 1973. But anyway, the. So three questions. Have you come here feeling without reservation to give yourselves to each other in marriage? Fine. Have you, will you love and honor each other as man and wife for the rest of your lives? And will you accept children lovingly from God and bring them up according to the law of Christ and his church? That middle question. Will you love and honor each other as man and wife for the rest of your lives? There's an interesting little portion of this. Not the loving and honor bit that's that's understood by everybody. And, And not the for the rest of your lives bit. Will you love and honor each other as man and wife for the rest of your lives? Does anything in this strike you as odd? Man and wife, what would you expect? expect husband and wife or man and woman. But the church gives us man and wife. Whereas when we go to the vows, now the spouses are standing opposite each other and they're taking their right hands and they're saying, the groom says, I, John, take you... Jill to be my wife and I, Jill, take you, John, to be my husband the complementarity of equality is what's emphasized there because the church in that middle question is talking about the spiritual headship of the husband with the wife and the family how many of you have seen the film My Big Fat Greek Wedding Okay, oh God, wonderful, it's a funny film but apart from the humour there's actually some really good lines in it and one of them is when the mother is telling her daughter you know, look, the husband might be the head, but the wife is the neck and the neck can make the head turn wherever it likes you know and it's a great line and another lovely line actually from that her brother tells her towards the end of the film he says, look, let your past be a part of who you are but don't let it stop you from whom you should become or can become Beautiful insight about not denying your past, but also don't let it chain you to the past. But the point about the neck and the head is something that our modern day culture does not understand. God made Adam to be the head of Eve, to be a spiritual head and to lead her, to lead her to God. But our culture doesn't understand it because of a a false feminism. You know, feminism is supposed to take care of the interests of women in a proper way. But no one has taken better care of the interests of women than Jesus Christ and then our Blessed Mother. A lot of the feminism that we have in our own culture, in fact, distorts womanhood. It makes women in competition with men and in manly ways. I don't know about yourselves. But uh, there are 49% of the world's population is men, 51% of the world's population is women. I think there are enough men in the world, and I like the women to be women and the men to be men, and I think that's fantastic. But if the world is all men, there wouldn't be much diversity. Now, when that kind of thinking enters in, which is what actually happens then, in the fall, Adam and Eve are tempted, and for some reason, I mean, it might seem, oh, well. Why was it that Eve was tested first or tempted first? And why wasn't it Adam? Why didn't the serpent? Why didn't Satan go after the head? Why did he attack him through the woman? And I'm sure there's some interesting psychology that we go through in that. And I hope to touch a little bit on that. And, and it's the woman's ability to be drawn by beauty and the woman's ability to feel more comfortable with mystery. So if I haven't answered that question by the end, put your hand up and I'll speak to it a little bit more. But then, okay, so they eat the fruit, and the fruit, of course, the much Christian art talks, you know, paints it like a, an apple. But uh, as one, someone said to me once, you know, Father, the problem wasn't the apple on the tree; it was the pear on the ground. And uh, and, and so Adam and Eve sin. So they rebel against God. But what happens then? The harmony. That beautiful balance that existed between them. Where Adam looked at Eve and says, Wow, you're my beautiful, gorgeous wife. I love you. And you're the one I, I need to protect and safeguard. And she looks at Adam and says, You are my wonderful husband. I'm very happy to be led by you. And to lead us to God. This harmony entered in. And we know that there were four effects of original sin. disturbance or the rupturing of the relationship with God. The rupturing of the relationship, of the, the loss of the gift of integrity, actually the loss of all the preternatural gifts, those four gifts, knowledge, integrity, uh, immutability, and impossibility, the inability, or the ability to not feel pain. Now, the uh, so the loss of the gift of integrity, the disturbance in the created world, but the disturbance between Adam and Eve themselves. Now what happened there? Adam no longer looked at Eve.
0: You are listening to Father Mark De Batista on the topic, Men are Pigs, Women are Manipulative. For Lumen Verum Apologetics on cradio.org.au. As
1: his helpmate, as his spouse, he saw her as a possession, as someone to be dominated, to be subjugated. On the other hand, Eve now looks at Adam and says, Oh, I know what makes you tick you're not interested in me at all you're interested in what I can give you and so Eve learns to seduce Adam and I say this and I honestly believe to be so true it is a very 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 rare woman who does not know how to seduce a man a very rare woman, not that she would but that she could if she wanted to I believe it's a very, very rare woman. On the other hand, it's a very, very chaste man who could withstand the seductive advancements of a woman. And isn't that what we see in our present day culture? With the proliferation of pornography, one of the figures I heard, which is astounding really, is about 2,500 new porn sites on the internet every week. Every week! <laughs> It's pretty good. I mean, it's it's horrible, actually. But uh, that's how heavily driven the whole industry is. Now, I'm imagining, too, a certain number of porn websites are crashing every week as well. So part of the thing that drives porn and the whole industry is the the, the whole drive for novelty and and greater and more twisted and weird ways of presenting the, the human mystery, which, of course, never satisfies because... It's taken out of the right context. But what, what do we see in our culture? We see that a lot of men are told, the message men are given is, you can have all the perks of being men without growing up. So you can be boys all your life. Isn't that great? You don't have to grow up. And women are being told, you can have all the perks of being women without having to grow up. So we have many young men and women who, if they get married at all, Uh, I really just don't know how to be married. They don't have the wherewithal to love in a selfless way. Because we have extended adolescence way beyond what adolescence should be. Into the twenties and thirties and even more. And it's a tragedy really. I uh, remember being... Anyway, before I get to that... I might jump right ahead. but, But then on the other hand, women... Our culture now is doing something to women, a corruption, that perhaps because of pornography and the fact that pornography has never existed to the same degree as it it does now, it's corrupting women in a way that's unprecedented, really. So, what's our culture do to women? It hollows them out. It hollows out their mystery. Women are beautiful. All the women here, and I want to honor you tonight, you're all beautiful because you are women. God has given you a mystery, a charm, a beauty, a magnificence. And I don't want to embarrass anyone, but you're beautiful because you are women. But our culture tells you, and tells all women, you're beautiful if you're this size, if you look like this, if you dress like this, and if you can speak or have these degrees or whatever it is. That's what our culture tells women. And therefore now, having hollowed them out... One of the things that women long for is women, and again we get this from Genesis. After the fall, what does God say to Adam and Eve? He says to Adam, you, you'll get your fruit from the ground by sweat of your brow. Now you'll have to work hard to till the soil. It won't just respond to you. And it will yield you thistles, at least in the translation that we have in the Jerusalem Bible, when we have a Sunday Mass. It will yield you thistles. So you'll work hard. What does he say to Eve? Your yearning will be for your husband. But what will he do? Oh, come, my sweetie, I love you so much. No, he will lord it over you. He will lord it over you. And I'm going to pick that as my starting point now, to go into some of these psychosexual differences in the makeup between men and women. When men do not have self-mastery, they will treat others like possessions, especially women. They will use them. They will milk them like a cow or like an orange. And once they've squeezed them, they will throw them away. And hence the title of the first half of the talk. Things don't have to be like this, right, by the way, but I just want to point out the downfall because I think it's all around us, and then we'll see, talk about the redemption. On the other hand, women's great ability to network and so forth, and and relationally, and, and that ability to seduce. The yearning will be for your husband, but he will lord it over you. And so Eve realizes this. Now, what does it mean that yearning for your husband? It means that women have a greater need for male attention than men have need for female attention. Women have a greater yearning. Why? Because women are the natural interactors. They're the natural glue of family life. They're the natural glue of society. But that doesn't mean the men don't have need for female attention, but they don't have the same need. When you see a man and a woman walking down the street, who clings to who? See the woman clinging to the man. If you see a man clinging to the woman, hmm, and you start asking questions, or you should. Because it, it often says something. Maybe he's vulnerable or very weak and so forth. But the normal thing you would expect is that the wife clings to her husband. And I'm forever at weddings when I'm instructing them. And it's funny that priests are instructing couples on how to hold hands. But anyway, I'm saying, men, just put your arm out and let the women cling on to you. Don't cling the other way. It, it, it's, let's, there's, a, there's a proper way to be and to lead. So... Of course, because they have a greater need for the male attention, what does our culture tell women? Well you've, you've got to get this. And so you have women now in their teenage years and they can't stand the fact that they don't have a boyfriend. And God help you if you're at university and you haven't had a boyfriend and or you don't have a boyfriend uh, and, and what, you've had sex you're a virgin? I'm serious? What's wrong with you? Let me teach you a few things, you know. Um, it, it, you see, that is so unusual. Now, but many have given in to that because they've been hollowed out. And so they yearn and crave for this male attention so badly that they will dress any old way. They will speak in any old way and they will sell themselves short. As a result, they get the attention all right but it's not the attention that they really need and desire. On the other hand, the attention that men need, men need female attention, but they need the kind of attention that will raise them up. And because women have greater need for the male attention than the other way around, the men, sadly, will often exploit them they will often exploit them. On the other hand, women have this instinctive realization that I can curl the man around my hand if I seduce him. And so the man, of course, in many men, most, the vast majority of men in this area, have a profound weakness because they don't leave chastity or they're not struggling to leave chastity. As a result, they will give the female attention but they are exploited in the process and the woman is exploited in the process. So you see how two wounded halves now, by because of original sin, both seeking to fulfill and remedy and fulfill the original desire that God has put into the human hearts, their human hearts, are now fulfilling it, not as Christ wanted it to be fulfilled, but through the way that is presented by Satan. And all of Satan's temptations, by the way, are usually a mimicking of God's gifts. So God gives us a gift. And then since, since original sin now, all of God's gifts, I want to say all of them, but I can't think of an exception, I, I want to say all, most of them, but I, think, I can't think of an exception, so I'm going to say all of God's gifts. All of God's gifts are used properly. They always come in the dimension of the cross. All of them. Satan, on the other hand, he's not a genius enough to invent anything new. So he picks God's gifts already and then represents them to us. And he takes the cross out of them and says, you know what? My way is easier than God's. I give you everything He gives you, but I take out the cross. I take out suffering. I take out sacrifice. Surely my way has got to be better and more attractive. We say, yes, 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 it is. It is better. And we fall down head first. And then when we're crushed... Of course, we're miserable. Okay. What are some more of these fundamental differences between men and women? Women are more whole than men. What do I mean? They're more emotionally united with themselves. Uh, their, Their minds and their hearts are more acting as one. For men, there's a greater gap between their mind and the emotional life. To say to a man, look, I want you to block out your emotions for the time being, just concentrate on this issue. He'll do it with ease. Most men will do it with ease. You say to a woman, listen, block out your emotions for a while, would you? It's, saying, it's like saying, cut off your right arm. It can't be done. A woman finds it almost impossible to block out her emotions. Because a woman lives emotionally. God has made her this way. What a woman therefore has to do, I mean a young woman now, so the difference between a young woman, a teenage woman, and a mature woman is a, a teenage woman is often overwhelmed by emotions. A strong emotion comes and she feels you know driven helplessly to follow the emotion. On the other hand, a teenage man So a young teenager, or even a man in his early 20s, will frequently not even be aware of his emotions. I remember one time I was in the seminary. That was my third year in the seminary. So I'd had two and a half years of formation at this stage, which is more than, unless any of you have been religious, more than any of you have had, I'd say, in one human formation. Anyway, we were doing our, our basic class. So I was 21, and I... These, we had these classes where we'd go to the hospitals and we would uh, talk to people, interview them, you know, the patients, and then we'd come back and write them up. And the idea is to analyze how our counseling skills are going. Anyway, so I had two disastrous write-ups. But anyway, and my classmates, two of my classmates really attacked me. Pretty, pretty seriously. So, you know, you're a failure, this and that. This is about six of us. So, this is all supposed to help build you up, you know, kind of thing. And uh, anyway, and the teacher says to me, Oh, Mark, so and so and so and so have said some pretty strong things to you. How do you feel? Inside, I was feeling hurt. I was angry. I wanted to rearrange some faces. I wanted to, uh, you know, may God bless you over the head with a hammer. Uh, you know, they're the sorts of things I really wished for these guys. One of them's gone to the Lord now, and the other one's a priest still. So they're both, both got ordained. But they're t- two good fellows. And what they said was actually spot on. I had failed miserably. What do you think my answer was to the question, oh, Mark, how do you feel? What do you think I said? I wanted to say fine because that—that's what my head was saying. I was feeling awful. I said neutral. I actually felt devastated, but I was unaware of the deep pain that was there. I couldn't let myself feel those painful emotions. I had to learn that. Now, you ask a woman how she feels, she'll tell you very quickly. A woman's much more aware of so. A woman's challenge is to learn to master the emotions, but not to crush them. That's part of who we are. Our intellect and our will are the two powers of the soul. If you want to throw the memory in there as well, have the three powers of the soul. But the emotions is really what gives us the heart. And it's learning to live with the heart. The human heart is the convergence point between our intellect, our will, and our emotions. It's that intelligible, affective core within every man and woman. And it's there that God dwells. As long as there is a disparity between these two things, living out of our heads or being driven by our emotions, we are incomplete. You know, when Jesus appears in, to St. Margaret Mary, Alacoque, in 1647, and reveals to her the beautiful, Devotion. He doesn't say, oh, I am the sacred head, or I'm the sacred will. I am the sacred heart. And he wants us to have a devotion to his heart, to his holy humanity. And there's been, I think, a very dangerous streak within Catholic theology, and and in pastoral practice especially, that what really counts is your intellect and your will. And while that might be of predominance, It is not to be supported at the cost of the affections. Because the affections are also and just as much a part of the gift that God has given to us as are our intellect and will. Even though they need to be kept under the proper banner. On the other hand, a man has to learn to be more emotionally attuned to his own emotions. To not work out of the head, as I just gave you in that example in my own formation. Now I was 21. What do you think is the average age where a man and woman in our culture reaches uh, emotional literacy? And what I mean by emotional literacy is being able to say what you are feeling. What do you think is the average age? About 28. About 28. So I think women get there a bit earlier than the men. And so that's the average age. You can imagine there's a heck of a lot of people in their 30s who haven't quite got there yet. You know, intellectually, we mature probably in our late teens, more likely in our early 20s. Physically, about the same. It's interesting. Emotionally, we lag behind. But emotional intelligibility is like having a sixth sense. When we are emotionally attuned and really living out of our heart, our Interactions with other people are far more authentic We relate to others from our heart And we learn to connect with their heart But if we are driven by our emotions And the weakness or the, the propensity for, for a woman An immature woman is to be dread, led by emotions or, or some some memory that would uh, spark a powerful emotion and, and lead her in that way In the case of a man, to lead him by a powerful idea or to block out the emotions. When we are acting out of either of these extremes, and the will of course chooses which one it goes with, but the will has to unite, has to unite the two together, or the three together, the three including itself. When we are living from our heart, what happens? Our interactions are much more genuine, much more sincere we will need to speak fewer words. Our relationships gain and our words gain a greater impact. Because we're speaking from our core and we're aiming towards another person's core. But in so far as we're not living from our hearts and working and acting out of our hearts, what happens? It's like a piece of bubble gum, you know? This part's stretched and this bit's lagging behind. or. You know, you're doing a sharp turn, and the wheels turn, but the uh, the center of gravity or the centripetal force wants to slam you into the window. Whatever, probably none of you turn corners that sharp. But anyway, uh, that's what would happen if you did. So now there's a reason why, even when when men and women are properly mature. There's a reason why men are a bit more distant from their emotional life and women are more whole. There's a reason for this, and it's God-given as well. Let me illustrate it through, uh, again, a husband and wife in the house, little Johnny who's six, playing in the backyard. They hear a scream.
0: You are listening to Father Mark Battista on the topic Men are pigs, women are manipulative. For Lumen Verum Apologetics on cradio.org.au
1: mother hears it first because the mother's ear is attuned to the cry of a child the father hears it oh yeah, okay, what's going on she goes outside first and she sees little Johnny's leg hanging oh, <gasps> baby, anyway, she's crying she doesn't know what to do she's hysterical and because she's, she's obviously impacted by the pain and the helplessness of her little child but, and then the husband comes and he sees the leg dangling as well and the mother cuddling the child and trying to comfort the child but the, the husband is able to block the emotions a bit and he's obviously distressed because it's his son, he loves him but in being able to block his emotions he's able to make a decision whereas the mother, being overwhelmed by the emotion isn't thinking clearly at that time and so, although she's very in tune with the emotions nevertheless, they're not helping her at that moment because she hasn't mastered them on the other hand on the other hand if the man's always living, distancing himself from the emotion, what does he risk doing? He risks becoming heartless, cold, and insensitive. He will speak without thinking. He will say things about another person that will hurt because he doesn't realize just, oh, how would this be taken? How would this be understood? And this is a, indeed a lifelong journey, and husbands and wives are constantly learning it again and again and again. But, I just didn't want you to misunderstand when I say, we both need, both halves of the human race need to live out of this unity of heart, to mean that it's got to be exactly the same way. In a completely In St. Joseph and Our Lady, two wonderfully, completely mature people, there are still predominant differences in the way the heart's operated. And that's part of God's creative genius. How does all this affect sexuality? In the area of sexuality, men are far more easily aroused and readily aroused than women. If you had the arousal versus time graph for men, I don't know what the unit's here, but let's just call them arousal units, this is now seconds down the bottom here, right? Men is like this. On average, 2.8 minutes a man is ready for sexual intimacy. In fact, the whole cycle has gone, basically. It, 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 you know. Women, more like, now, multiply it, it's minutes down the bottom. The men, it's seconds. Now it's minutes, and the arousal time graph, and it's like this. About 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, never. You know. So, why? Because the wife in marriage is not ready for sexual intimacy in the same way as the husband is why this is very rough right but it's it's uh, but not crude all arousal in the case of a man it happens like this the intellect the genitalia and then the emotional life in the case of a woman she's aroused the wife is aroused the intellect the emotional life and then the genitalia. The difference in the second and third is what makes all the difference in marriage. This is why spouses in marriage should engage in foreplay. That should be part and parcel of it. Because without it, and they should never, husbands are particularly especially sensitive to their wives in this area. Do so they think, oh, well, why is it that you're not interested? You just don't love me. You're just not interested in this. And, and, and the wives can mistakenly think you know, well, husband, they're just an animal all you want is sex you, you, just, you, know, you, you really don't have any know-how about how to treat me with sensitivity, with discretion, with love with tenderness, and the fact is they're both wrong it's the chip, it's how God has designed us to work, and so we either work out how the other party works, or we'll live frustrated that's how it would work, so the foreplay, what's that designed to do? It's designed to get the wife emotionally engaged. So this is often in, in Christian marriage. The husband will be the first one to express to his wife the desire for sex, love in Christian marriage. And if you want a beautiful booklet to read on this, by the way, it's called Sex, Love and Christian Marriage. And it's, uh, it's put out by the Mustard Seed Bookshop. And it's only about 60 pages. It was originally written by the Australian Catholic Truth Society. Chapter There's an introduction. Chapter 1 is, I think, the husband's role. Chapter 2 is the wife's role. Chapter 3 is orgasm. Chapter 4 is some related issues. Four very short chapters. Beautiful. I'd recommend it for any engaged couple or any married couple. That's the one Father Anthony Percy's has rewritten, isn't it? Has he rewritten it, or has he just written the preface to? To the new... Sure, but they advertise it as like this is Father Anthony Persie's latest work Okay. In fact, I mean, I've, I've seen that too, and I, and I, I thought you'd just written the preface, but he could well have rewritten it. And but it was a, the original booklet that I read is just a beautiful little booklet, and and so it's often going to be the husband. Now, what's his role? His role isn't to to uh, expect his wife to just be ready. No, that's insensitive. He needs to engage in foreplay. What's foreplay mean? And without going into too many details, but he needs to tell his wife that she's beautiful, that she's special to him, that she is the only woman in his life, that she's dear, all those things to draw out his wife, to engage her emotionally. On the other hand then, if a wife is aware and she understands her husband, she needs to engage him emotionally. Because oftentimes the husband isn't engaged emotionally. The wife will be engaged once the wife's engaged emotionally, then genitally she'll be ready as well. But the husband it's quite possible for him to be ready genitally but not engaged emotionally. And it's only a true union of persons and I say it's not just union of bodies, a union of persons when the mind, the heart, so the emotions not the heart and the three that I mentioned no, the mind, the heart, the emotions and the genitalia are all working together in sync. Okay, what are some of the other differences that that vary between men and women? Men are often more analytical in the way that they think. Women tend to be more intuitive. So what do I mean? Men will go to things deductively. There are two ways in which we know through our human minds, deductively or intuitively deductively a leads to b leads to c leads to d or a leads to e excuse me on the other hand intuition is a leads to e immediately in heaven we will know god intuitively there will not be anything mediating so we won't think in heaven we will just know but on earth we have to think it's the uh, part of the hard work now What does that mean in practice? It means in practice that men will get to conclusions for having to think through problems. That's why most of the engineering classes you'll find at universities are filled with men, with only a very small percentage of women attending those classes. So, when I was at the University of Illinois, about 100 in a class, let's say, and I think about 85% would be men in most engineering classes, and with 15% of women. And you go to the nursing classes, or the primary school teaching, and you'll find the reverse. Why? Because it's tailoring, or it's, it's tapping into a profound difference between men and women. So the men go A, B, C, D, and, and then when, once they get to E, they're happy. The women just know. Now, the intuition isn't always working, not necessarily for the women. That doesn't mean women can't think deductively, or men can't think intuitively. It's just what predominates. And there's actually a physiological reason for, for why this is the case. That the brain waves in men uh, are faster than the brain waves in women. In men, it's about between 10 and 12 cycles, hertz. So, whatever, cycles per second. With women, it's about 8 to 10. Because of that, the women are much more aware of the subconscious realities. And because and that's why they're more attuned emotionally. God is a genius, you all know that, but uh, God is a genius how he created us because the two halves of the human race can work this. Now what happens? The women will say, the husband will, the wife will say to the husband, oh, it's that, that's the answer, that's what we should do. Case recently, parishioners, they just had a loss of a daughter and so forth, they moved house. The wife comes into the house and she says, I get a good feeling about this. I get a good feeling about the house. Now the house needs work. Uh, the, they've got to you know, get the finances together. I, I've just got a good feeling about this. I, it just feels right. And the husband's saying, Huh? What? You're really serious? And she expects him to cotton on. But he can't cotton on because she can't give him any reasons. And he thinks deductively. And she thinks intuitively. And, and so it's not either or. It's both and. Both and. Even when the woman is right, and she's right about 90 or 95% of the time, because okay, so it's pretty high. She'll think she's right all the time, which is obviously sorry. <laughs> it is, unfortunately, it is. But deduction, if it's good logic, will be right all the time. You know, as long as it's good logic. So what happens? If she can point to the end. That's great. But then he asks, "So how'd you get there?" I don't know, but it's right. She can't explain it, so he he thinks she thinks then that the husband doesn't believe her and blah blah blah. So there's misunderstanding. At the end of the day, not only do we need to know the destination, we need to know the roadmap of how to get there. That's why we need to know, be able to think deductively, and, and so forth, as well as then being able to get there. Okay, so that's the, the, the differences of analytical and, and intuitive thinking. And I'm watching the time, and I think we should wrap up pretty. No, we've got, we've got minutes. Oh, okay. I'm nearly, nearly at the end of this. Uh, this talk to me, just think if I've covered um, most things, the sexuality, analytical thinking, emotional... Yeah, no, I think pretty much... Can a
0: quick question? Yes. Do you think that...
1: I think I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, this...
0: Yeah. Um, do you think that uh, the difference between men and women... Extend into the soul
1: and our return? I believe so.
0: You have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Father Mark Di Batista. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics Lectures, visit cradio.org.au.